This is episode five of our podcast series, and I'm joined uh, today by Maria Valle um, from Crest Education, Director of Research there, um, and having recently completed your doctorate, I think, Maria. Yes. Tell us a little yeah. bit about that. Uh, well, um, basically, it looked it looked at how professional learning can help um, teachers in in reshaping their mindset around assessment. Yeah. Okay. So, well, do you know what? Let's let's start with assessment um, because as we record this particular episode, um, we recorded the previous four um, very much with a view that Victoria, Tasmania. Uh, schools would remain closed for some time yet um and and whilst there might be a second peak whilst we may have to go back to something that was akin to the home learning we've experienced in the past to all intents and purposes schools are about to open up children about to come back um and there's a whole bunch of things um that we've done very differently teachers have had to be super innovative and they've had to, to reinvent teaching and learning. They've had to reinvent assessment. And so one of the things I really want to explore today um, is the things that we've, we've really missed, um, the things that children will be really yearning for as they return, and the stuff we should perhaps not go back to. And I wonder whether assessment and, and your doctorate is a good place to start, you know, just reflecting on how assessment's been done differently in this period, what we've learned and perhaps some of the things that we ought to really hold on to um, as schools open up again. Yeah, look, I think I think um, the current situation definitely has created an opportunity to rethink a whole bunch of things, particularly around assessment. And I'm really interested, I think, in different parts of the world, depending on the timing of the school year and also the length of time that schools have been closed, I think will impact what kind of changes have happened. Um, so some places the, the closure of school or, or home learning has been relatively short. Um, you know, we've had uh, six weeks so far, um, which is probably a good length of time to start shift, to shift some of the thinking and some of the practices. I know in the very early phases of going into online learning, and of course we had to pivot like really quickly really quickly and it was exhausting for everyone um i think the first phase in some ways is sort of like survival it's it's almost taking what we normally do and putting that in an online environment but of course that isn't sustainable by any stretch um but it was a logical place to start given the time frames so i think as time has gone on um that's when teachers, you know, in schools have started to think around assessment. But I find that it's interesting because still year 11 and 12, year 12 assessment in particular, seems to dominate decisions, even in this structure. And there has been some relaxing of in, in Victoria, where I live, around some of the expectations around assessment or the time frames. Um, but still, it's it, it looms large, you know, for many schools. Um, but definitely there's been, you know, I know in the schools that I work for, a lot more conversation around um, sort of project-based learning and, and relaxing this idea of everything's got to be authenticated, which at Year 12 it does, 
but that seeps down. And of course, how do we authenticate that now? So for year 12, we've had to come up with all these complex technological solutions to, you know, managing a student doing an exam at home and being able to authenticate that. Um, but that requires enormous energy and manpower and thinking. So that wasn't going to be replicated back down through the year level. So they've had to think about other things. And I know in, in the schools I work for, we had a parent-teacher interview scheduled for this term. And actually what's going to happen now is they're going to be reflective conversations. So we've actually are going to be including some student voice. They're not proper parent-teacher interviews. They're not proper learning conferences either. But we're saying almost in some ways out of survival mode because teachers are frazzled hey, let's get the students to do some reflection on what they've actually learned this term. Oh, they've been home with their parents. Let's get the parents to do some reflection on what they've seen and let's have a conversation about that. Now, of course, we should be doing that anyway, but, um, you know, we're, we're taking a foray into that space this term and I'm looking forward to, you know, maybe next term being able to make some decisions about what we keep, especially, in, you know, in that space and in other areas going forward. That's fascinating. So let's widen that lens out even further because I've been um, I've done some stuff for the BBC um, in the UK recently, looking at um, looking at the impact of assessment um, on the school year, on calendars. You know, we had a conversation only recently on BBC Radio about um, what, what impact this might have on the way we do school. Um, you know, in, in its in its in its broadest sense. You know, because like you in the UK where I find myself at the moment although um very much hoping to be flying and being physically in the country very very soon um we have a calendar that's absolutely locked um around it is an assessment calendar it is locked around an exam process which itself is locked into a university system which is there to um prioritize the learning of 50% or less of the country um, and it feels that this has been an opportunity to revisit when we educate our children. At the moment, we have a September uh, through July uh, school calendar, and it's all based on that, that huge bloated summer exam system. It's about trying to get children through a body of knowledge to test them on all of it, uh, to get it marked, uh, to re get it returned, and then using it as a gateway methodology to get them onto university. Yeah. Now that seems to me, and, and what you were saying was that we perhaps ought to be revisiting the whole, you know, the nature of assessment, the purpose of assessment, and the degree to which, as the tail, it wags the dog of education, which is which is a much larger, broader pursuit for young people. Yeah. Look, this is. I mean, this this has been an issue for some time, and assessment is a hot issue and a conversation around what you just talked about, um, you know, school assessment and, and the connection with university placement, et cetera. Um, and it's interesting because just before coronavirus hit or just as it was hitting, I went to um, a, a seminar, a workshop, and at that well, there was someone from one of the large sandstone universities in Australia and they were talking about looking at different methods for um, assessing the suitability, suitability of students for courses. Now, since coronavirus has hit, lo and behold, some universities, some other universities have said, oh, no, maybe we can find other ways of determining, you know, whether, 
whether students are suitable for these courses. And this is something that, you know, educators have been, uh, you know, trying to bash the door down about for years because, you know, we had questions of if, you know, at that point, as you mentioned, we thought schools might be closed for quite some time. What's the impact of that going to be on Year 12 exams and, and their tertiary ent- entrance scores? So I think the fact that we've had to begin to have those conversations hopefully is going to create a bit of momentum. But, yeah, look, it's to me it's definitely an issue. Um, why are we assessing? Why are we doing it this way? How useful actually is it for anybody, even the students that are seem to do well in it Um, and I I think it's complex it's quite an ingrained system and you've got teachers who by and large have been successful in this system it's very hard for them also to step out of it because you know I had a teacher say to me actually when I was doing my research um, well when I was in year 12 I got an A for maths and, well, I want that to mean something. So I think there's that element of it as well, that teachers are actually quite invest, invested in those assessment processes because it gives them worth. Hmm. Yeah, so it's complex. Let's, let's, let's just talk about teachers then. So um, Crest Education is a fascinating um, organisation because you have under that umbrella some very different school types um so um the two that i visited and know well hillcrest christian college and rivercrest on the same property they follow two very different educational models um one of the things i just want to pick up on something you said is that you know when something like this happens it's not easy necessarily for teachers to be able to step back and flex um when a crisis like this happens who do you think um has coped better in this period staff at hillcrest or staff at rivercrest not through competencies but through the model which one which model do you think has been most or can be most resilient um at this time when we suddenly had to flip education in this way not a criticism either you understand i'm just fascinated by the comparison it's an interesting question so so Rivercrest is an international baccalaureate school. I'm not sure whether the capacity to pivot is purely based on, um, you know, for example, one's IB and one isn't, or it's or it's the um, year levels, teachers of different year levels. So, um, and I can only speak, you know, for, for the schools I work in, and it might be different in different schools, and I'm really looking forward to finding out a bit more about that later. Um, but I think... I think um, primary schools have probably found it easier um, in some ways because of what we were talking about earlier. They don't feel that same pressure that has to be done in a certain way. But I think an international baccalaureate school, which um, has a big focus on inquiry learning, um, I think in some ways it was possibly easier for them. But, I mean, that said, you don't have to be an international baccalaureate school to be, be you know, a school that, that's implementing inquiry-based learning. Um, but I think in some ways they probably found it easier. But, look, some of the challenges were just around technology too. Yeah. And so that really, you know, probably the secondary teachers uh, at Hillcrest were more prepared for that than primary. I think some of the primary teachers, that was a big learning curve. Um, 
So, I, yeah, I don't know whether I'd pitch it one school versus another. Uh, I think it depends. It maybe, yeah, primary versus secondary is one way. Um, yeah, so let's let's try and draw out some of those key uniting themes there. So if so, if technology is you know some of the key levers that make this work well, um, if it may be inquiry based learning that's a key lever here. What do you think? You know, as 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 practitioners go back, can you speak to some of the things you've seen, some of the innovations you've seen that you thought, wow, you know, we should never lose that. Now this should become um, you know, a, a, a part of our of our repertoire. This is how we should do teaching and learning going forward. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it'll be great when we actually do come back and can talk to teachers, you know, more about this uh, and, and students as well. But I think some of the things I'd say early on are greater student agency. You know, I think... Um, when the students have been at home learning, uh, obviously the capacity to, to monitor and manage hasn't been quite the same. So I think I'm hoping that when we come back, we'll be more open to that. I, I think I think teachers will come back more open to conversations about flexibility around how we do timetabling and how we use time. I think some teachers are having a revelation that probably they waste a little bit of time um, in class um, by talking too much, that actually the content. So, you know, a, as we've um, gone through the weeks of, of online learning at home, the content has had to be pared back because it was just too much. Mm. You can't have students and teachers sitting at computers all day running just a regular timetable, As you know, especially, well, for the older students, the, the, amount, of, the amount of content's too much. For the younger students, they can't sit in front of a screen like this all day. So the teachers have had to really think about, okay, what really matters? So I think I'm hopeful that that notion of sort of being a slave to the content um, may have been smashed away a little bit and we can have more conversations about, well, what really matters um, in terms of learning? So I think, and I think the use of technology in smart ways as well. So I'd like to see a lot more blended learning happen when we when we return to school. And we've, you know, I've already started thinking about, oh, should we be thinking to run a school? What about students who, who really struggle to be at school every day, older students? Could we run some kind of blended model for, for students with mental health issues or other issues where, you know, they don't have to be at school all the time? So I'm hoping you know, we'll be able to have a lot of those conversations when the students return. That's brilliant. All right, so let me just pick up two things there. One is just the very concept of time, um, you know, the way we use and manage and, and measure time. I think that's one theme I want to pick up on um, straight away, which is, you know, I've, I've heard um, a number of staff mention this, you know, that in the past um, they have been a slave to content. Um, I, I was fascinated by your comment that, you know, um, <clears throat> That, that it's really hard for older students to spend all this time in front of a computer just, you know, trying to wade through that content. But we assume that it's actually okay for them to sit in a small room, you know, on a hot day, you know, for hours on end doing the same thing. We assume that this becomes a barrier, but, but that all opens up when we're all physically in the same room. And to a degree, that's true. But I wonder whether to the degree to which we've learned during this time that the balance of our, of our curriculum has, has been off. Um, that actually we need to do a lot more by ourselves and use the time together 
um, as the genuine moment um, for discovery, for debate, for dialogue, um, where the teacher really gets to know whether a student has understood, um, has really um, yeah, taken in that knowledge and can do something with it. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I totally agree with you. The students can't sit in a classroom and listen to a teacher all day any more than they can sit on a screen all day. Um, you know, I suppose at least at school, they the bell goes, they get up, they walk, they have a chat with a friend, whereas at home that part of it has all gone and, some, you know, some older students have probably been at home by themselves as well. Um, so that makes it even more difficult. But, I mean, I'm certainly hoping that we... I mean, I'll be devastated if we go back to doing things exactly how we did before without questioning them, uh, you know. Um, and I think how we use time is definitely a major thing. And, again, you know, for secondary teachers in particular, um, to think outside of those blocks of time and bells and, um, you know, I've got this much content and this much time and I have to fit it in, there is still that element of the teacher controlling everything and um, rather than being a facilitator of learning. So, I, you know, I think they're the conversations I'm, I'm hoping. Um, I mean, it's not like we've never had these conversations before, but I'm hoping that this experience opens more teachers up to having that conversation and I, I said to someone the other day you know I'm sure um you know next term or next year if we say oh let's have some days where you know secondary students don't come to school and they learn from home on those days I don't think we'll get massive pushback on that at all yeah um whereas before I think it would have been much more difficult yeah. but people have done it now and they can see that it can work and and not only that, I mean, you know, you allude to the fact that just how quickly how 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 quickly teachers and schools had to pivot. I think that one of the things we may learn at this time is just what we're capable of as a profession. Exactly, you know, exactly. You, I think teachers have surprised themselves. Totally. If you'd have told the teaching profession internationally, but well, you know, some countries would have been prepared for this to a greater degree, but certainly. Um, in Australia and in the United Kingdom, which is which is largely where my experience has been, if you'd have told the teaching profession, by the way, we're going to teach entirely from home um, in about three weeks, and you need to get everything online and start delivering, you know, the the, the pushback from the profession at large would have been, you know, hard. Um, and yet, it, there it was within two weeks, three weeks, you know, in in the United Kingdom, you know, pop up organizations who provided thousands of hours of teaching resources online youtube videos resources you know it's a really innovative creative profession highly skilled teachers who i agree with you have surprised themselves about just what capabilities and skills they've got yeah uh yeah and look i mean i it is important to qualify that you know the schools that i'm most experienced with are you know, largely children from middle-class families and, um, you know, have access to resources because I think, um, you know, schools where they didn't have access to resources or and, and students didn't have those resources at home, you know, that's probably a slightly different story. And I know, for example, in the US that's a big issue. But for schools like ours who really were pretty well-placed for 
being online because we were already using learning management systems and had things in place. It was still a huge step up. And I, I had a conversation with a teacher the other day and she said to me, all these things I've learned and I can't believe I was, wasn't doing this before. And she started to, I can't remember what the programs were now, but she was saying, did you know that you can, whatever it was, I didn't know I could do that. I can't believe I wasn't doing it before. So yeah, I think, I think in the long term, this is going to make teachers jobs a lot easier. I mean, yeah, you think of all those hours of um, video clips they've made that they can use again next year, um, you know, and to be able to keep doing that. And and the thing is, the teachers have done that without really a great deal of collaboration because all of our teachers have been off-site most of the time. So most of their interactions have been like this, mm. which is not really a great way to problem solve, you know, to collaborate on really complex issues. So imagine what they can do when they're able to actually physically be in the same room and work together. Uh, the, the possibilities are extraordinary, yeah. uh, genuinely. And I think, you know, the purpose of this podcast series has been to really um, both reflect on that time, um, but also to begin that conversation um, I think it's really important now that we 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 have a very open and rapid conversation about being very explicit about those things that have been innovations that have worked well, that we listen to young people and talking about what they felt was successful, uh, the things that weren't um, as successful, and try and embrace those, uh, try and scale those. Um, try and invest in those so we start to really have a blended model um, that, that, that genuinely reflects 21st yeah. century young people, 21st century world, 21st century learning. Um, agree, agree. As soon as our students come back, I'm already planning on I want to run some focus groups and get that data, you know, straight away. Um, but obviously, you know, there's some, we have to be wise as well because, uh, I don't know what it's going to be like for students coming back. Some of them have actually loved being at home. Um, so that transition back in around their well-being, and obviously for the teachers too, it's been it's been really hard work for the teachers. So just wanting to capitalise on those things and and not go backwards, but also not overwhelm the teachers either. So I think the timing of those conversations is going to be really um, crucial. Very good. Well. Dr. Maria Vale, we've really enjoyed speaking this morning and um, and I look forward uh, to, to seeing you, I hope, next month um, and, uh, and, and helping you um, engage in those conversations and dialogues. It's been brilliant talking today. Thanks very much. Thank you.